Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Advent is a Latin word that means coming. Advent is partly a time of joy and expectation of the Savior's birth, and partly a season of penance and expectation of the judgment on the last day. The advent of Christ points to his past coming in Bethlehem, his future coming at the end of time, and his present coming through grace in the hearts of men. In Luke 1, 26 to 33, Luke writes, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You will be with child to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. As we light the second Advent candle, let us remember to wait expectantly for the Lord. The second Sunday in Advent is the Sunday of Peace. We light the Bethlehem candle, symbolize the preparation being made to receive and to cradle the Christ child. The second candle reminds us of the dark night when Mary and Joseph found light and warmth in the stable of Bethlehem. Amen. If you've been with us over the last, uh, well, just last week and this week, you know that we are entering into this Advent series where we're going to be looking at hope and peace and joy and love. And uh, last week, we started with hope. And uh, what we really wanted to do is, is understand the source of hope so that it could transform our lives from the inside out. And uh, we learned that hope is really a powerful thing, isn't it? I mean, hope has power because it gives us the ability to see, the life, uh, see life through uh, a positive perspective. We can see uh, hope and a future even when we have challenges and circumstances that seem beyond our control, things that are weighing us down. If we have hope in the midst of that, we're good. And Jesus is the source of that kind of hope. And this whole Advent season is a reminder of how Jesus enters into our world to give us that kind of peace. And when I think about peace, it's not peace uh, in the sense of world peace, as in a world without war, but the kind of peace that the angels proclaimed when they, when they were, were singing to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. That kind of peace. But what kind of peace is that? And, and how do we harness it? How do we apply it to our lives today? I was looking up definitions of that kind of peace. And I saw a definition that Charles Stanley had written that I really liked. And it says, he says that true peace is an inner sense of contentment and quietness. Regardless of life circumstances, it's a steadfast confidence in our everlasting, immutable Heavenly Father, it's the presence of joy even in the midst of unhappiness. Did you know that you can be joyful and be unhappy at the same time? That is only possible in Christ. But how do we get there? 
And what did God do specifically to make it possible? Well, we're going to answer those questions today. Or at least we're going to try. Uh, but before we get there, I had a question for the kids. The kids that were 10 or under. And what I wanted to know was, what constitutes an old age? <laughs> How old is old? Okay. And so, as you might have guessed, I got an array of answers. Um, some told me that age doesn't matter. Okay, so obviously they've been talking with their parents, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Others told me 99 is an old age. And I, when I asked my daughter, who's four right now, she said, 117. <laughs> okay, so she may not be a reliable source. But while age is subjective, uh, the, the passage that we're going to be looking at today has to do with age. Because sometimes, as we go through life, as we get older, we can get the sense that the best part of our lives have, have passed. That we may have missed our window of opportunity. And I'm going to challenge that a little bit today. But before I do, I want to tell you a story about uh, when I was nine years old. Um, it was 1981. I was in fourth grade. And I was attending classes at Wide Hollow Elementary School in Yakima, Washington, which is not significant to the story, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, in that class, I had a teacher by the name of Mr. Neubauer. You remember your fourth grade teacher? Okay, my teacher, Mr. Neubauer, was this amazingly kind man. Uh, just very similar in, to Mr. Rogers. You remember the Mr. Rogers show? He kind of looked like Mr. Rogers. He acted like Mr. Rogers. I'm kind of dressed like Mr. Rogers today. <laughs> but he had that, that persona. Do you want to sing the song with me? We don't have to. Uh, the other thing that I remember about Mr. Neubauer uh, was, was that he was incredibly sharp, sharp dressed. He used to wear a suit and a tie every day. And um, the suit always, and the tie, the shirt always matched perfectly. He must have had 50 ties and shirts. And uh, I was always impressed by that. But the thing that I remember most about Mr. Neubauer was just how old he was. He was incredibly old, and every day when I looked at him, I thought, you know, he must be very close to retirement, or maybe death, <laughs> right? And um, the interesting thing about that is I hadn't thought about Mr. Neubauer for years, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I flew home to help my mom uh, move into an assisted living facility, and uh, once she had moved in... Um, I, I asked her after a few days if she had met anybody that she connected with, people that she knew. And she said, well, yes, actually I did. I ran into Mr. Neubauer. And I said, wait a minute. You ran into Mr. Neubauer? And, and she said, yes, I ran into Mr. Neubauer. And he said that he just loves the place. And I said, well, Mr. Neubauer must be like 140 years old by now. You know, and, and she said, no, 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 he's, he's probably 80 now. And I said, 80? Well, if he's 80 now, 
That means that in 1981, he was 43, <laughs> which is three years younger than I am now. <laughs> so Mr. Neubauer was not old. He was not old. If you're 40, you are not old. 40 is the new 30, right? That's what we keep telling ourselves. And, uh, but the kids, kids in our community, they, when we asked them you know, to do a survey, they said that uh, the collective number was 59. So if you're over 59, I'm sorry. But I still have a few years, so I'm good. So sorry for you. <clears throat> um, the reason I tell this story uh, is I want to look at the, the story today of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is part of the Advent story. It's part of how um, God enters into our world in, in a mysterious way to do the miraculous. And what we know uh, of Zechariah and Elizabeth is um, that they were old. And uh, we also know that they were longing for a child. That, that Elizabeth uh, was barren, and they had been praying for a long time for this child, and it just hadn't come. And they were kind of at that place where after you've had hope for something for a long time, even when you trust in God and believe that God can do the miraculous, you kind of lose sight of that, and you think, well, maybe my time has passed. Maybe my time has passed. And that's kind of where Zechariah was. Uh, he was a priest, and so he was working in the temple. And while he was working in the temple, an angel appeared to him. And when the angel appeared to him, he had the same kind of response that most people in Scripture have when they come into contact with an angel. He was terrified. Suddenly there's an angel in the room. He's terrified. And then the angel has some words for him. And we find those uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be the joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of many. Or he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never... He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, so this is a prophetic word to Zechariah about what his son is going to be. And of course, Zechariah, in his current state, had a really hard time believing this. Okay, it would be unbelievable enough if, if, the, if the angel just said, you know what, you're going to have a child. But when he gets a message like this, a prophetic word as to what this child is going to do, it's even more like... Have you ever prayed and prayed for something and waited and waited and it just didn't come? 
So Zechariah has some questions for this angel, and they come across to the angel as doubt and disbelief. And so what the angel does is he makes Zechariah mute for the duration of the pregnancy. Basically, until the child is born, you will not be able to speak. Okay? Can you imagine Zechariah leaving this encounter with the angel, going home to, well, he can't talk with his wife about what happened, but he's trying to explain to his wife the encounter that he had and what it means. It doesn't matter how long we've been praying or waiting or hoping on the Lord for something that he has placed in our hearts. Our timing is not God's timing. And I think that's something that God does in the scriptures over and over again. He tries to help us recognize that he is beyond time and he is capable of doing things that we would consider impossible. He is a supernatural God who does supernatural things, and he wants to do that in our lives today as well. Now, who is this child that the angel Gabriel is prophesying about? We know his name is John. John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist was the one that came before Jesus and was basically paving the way for the ministry of Jesus. He baptized many people. He, he started a revival. And he even baptized Jesus. Do you remember that? He baptized Jesus as well. Now, six months later, six months later after Elizabeth gets pregnant, super, you know, it's a supernatural thing, she's pregnant, and six months go by, and the same angel that met Zechariah has another assignment where he's to meet with a young girl by the name of Mary. Mary happens to be the cousin of Elizabeth, the younger cousin. And this is what he says to Mary in Luke 1, 26-33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent an angel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled with his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So first, God goes to Elizabeth and Zechariah and does something miraculous with them and allows them to get pregnant allows them to have a son that is going to play a key role in the advent of Jesus. And then the same angel goes to Mary, and not only does she get pregnant, but she gets pregnant as a virgin. So God is in the business of doing things that we would say, that is not possible. 
And I think he wants us to recognize that the supernatural realm is outside of natural parameters. And we need to see the supernatural realm as, as real as the natural realm if we want to enter into that and experience miracles. And I believe God wants us to experience miracles. One might get the sense that God enjoys doing the unexpected and the impossible. And that he likes to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Isn't it interesting the people that he chooses to do some of his best work if you look through the scriptures? He chooses a peasant girl, a very poor peasant girl, from a no-name town to become the mother of the long-awaited Savior who would bring peace to the entire world for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? Now, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary, young Mary, who's now pregnant with Jesus, decides to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And when she enters Elizabeth and Zachariah's home, the baby inside of her womb that is, Elizabeth's womb, jumps for joy. Jumps for joy. And Elizabeth is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture tells us. She's immediately filled with the Holy Spirit, and God gives her a prophetic word in that moment. And this is what she says. She says, Blessed are you among women. She's speaking to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who believed. The Lord is wanting us to trust him in the supernatural as well as in the natural. Now, soon after Elizabeth gave birth to her son, she and Zechariah waited for eight days to go to a special naming ceremony, which was customary at that time among the Jews. On the eighth day, the baby would be circumcised and the name would be given to that child. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth grabbed their baby And they go to this special ceremony, probably at the temple, and they're surrounded by people, and the people say, what would you like to name your baby, Elizabeth? And Elizabeth says, we would like to name him John. And of course, they don't believe her. Because in that day and age, Jewish families would always name their children with a family name, and John was not part of the family name. And so they turned to Zechariah and they asked him, what do you think, Zechariah? What do you want to name the child? And of course he couldn't speak, remember? So he took out a, a, a slate, tablet of some sort, and he wrote down the name John. And he showed it to the people. And in that exact moment, God allowed him to speak again. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see a lot of supernatural stuff happening here? He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to prophesy. And he says, 
praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he has through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So recognize that the first words that Zacharias says, as soon as he can speak again after nine months of silence, is not a praise for the health and safety of his own wife during her pregnancy, or for the fact that he just received a son, which would probably be on my mind. In fact, that would be only the only thing I would be thinking about. But he's recognizing that God is doing something that is bigger and more exciting. And that's what he's sharing with the community that is around him in that moment. And then he continues in verses 67 through 79. And here I picture Zechariah lifting up his son above his head in sort of a Lion King-esque sort of fashion, right? Right? <laughs> And here he's going to declare what God has for this boy, for his son. And he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will, be, you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come up from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. He's describing the salvation experience, what Jesus is going to do when he comes into our world, dies on the cross, and raises from the dead and ascends into glory. And the amazing thing about this prophetic word from Zechariah is Jesus isn't even born yet. He's not even born yet. So the Holy Spirit is helping Zechariah to understand what he's up to. And he's allowing him to share it with the community around him. For those of you that come from a Catholic or a more liturgical background, you might recognize this particular passage because it's often called the Benedictus. And it's, 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 and it's read as a daily prayer to remember what Christ is doing, how he's entering our world to transform us from the inside out and to reconcile us with the Father. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth hits very home. It hits home particularly to me and my wife, who happens to be named Elizabeth as well. And many of you have heard our story, but as I was preparing this message, I just thought, I have to share our story again. Because there's so many parallels. And for those of you that don't know, um, when Elizabeth and I got married, uh, six months after we got married, Elizabeth was diagnosed with colon cancer. And what we soon realized was that she was going to have to have most of her colon removed, and then she was going to have to do chemotherapy after that. And so we went through that ordeal. 
And when we were going through that ordeal, we talked to some doctors, and they said, now, I know you're a young couple. There's a good chance that you might want to have children. But if you do, you need to wait at least five years because of the chemo treatments. We said, okay. And then after that five-year period of waiting, we started trying to have children, and we were not able to. We tried and tried. We, were, we just weren't able to. It wasn't happening. And so Elizabeth and I thought, well, what are our options at this point? We started talking with more doctors, and we started talking with fertility specialists. We started doing tests on all sorts of things. And eventually we decided, let's try IVF. I mean, God can work through modern medicine, and I believe that he can. And so we tried doing IVF, and we did six cycles of IVF, and they were all unsuccessful, some of them more painful than the others because there were a few times when we did get pregnant and then we lost the baby. And one of them we lost a little later on, and it was just so heartbreaking, so heartbreaking to go through that. And eventually, our fertility specialist pulled us aside, and he said, James... And Elizabeth, you need to sit down and listen to me. And he sat us down in his office and he said, you need to stop. You need to stop. I could continue doing these treatments for you. There's no physical reason why I shouldn't. There's no reason per se. I mean, there are some complications, but there's no reason why we couldn't keep trying. But it's too hard on your body and it's too hard on you uh, emotionally and, and spiritually. You just need to stop. And so Elizabeth and I had a, a cry. And at that point, we sort of resolved that maybe this wasn't what God had for us. And we started to lose a little bit of hope. And I, I, I think about Zechariah when he had that encounter with the angel and how I felt at that point. And, and I know it was hard for us, but, but at the same time, we still felt like God had given us this vision of a child he had put that desire on our hearts. And so we were still prayerful and still hopeful, but we knew it wasn't going to happen through, through IVF. Soon after that happened, a good friend of ours called us from England, and they were part of the, the church Holy Trinity Brompton, where the Alpha Course comes out of. And they invited us to come to their summer camp, which is called FOCUS. And it's kind of similar to the Leadership Summit, only uh, it's for a week long, and everybody camps. All the churches associated within that uh, denomination come together. They camp for a week, and there are dozens of workshops that you can choose from and keynote speakers throughout the day. It's really quite amazing. I wasn't able to go because I was going to be in Rwanda, but Elizabeth decided to go. And you could sign up for the workshops ahead of time. And so when she was looking online at the different options for workshops, she signed up for a workshop called Healing Prayer. And when you signed up for the Healing Prayer workshop, you had to write in what you would like to receive prayer for. So she wrote infertility. And she went to the conference. I was in Rwanda uh, after I came back from Rwanda, I'm in London. She's going to meet me in London. And she tells me uh, about what happened to her when she went to the conference. When she got there, she walked up to the registration table and she announced her name and the girls behind the table jumped up for joy. 
and started dancing. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, you must have me mistaken for somebody else. Because I'm not from this country, I'm not from around here. And they said, no, 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 it's not you in particular. It's that God told us months ago when we were putting this workshop together that he was going to heal someone with infertility issues, and you were the only person that put that down on your registration. And so we know that you are going to be healed. And they started praying for her with authority. And Elizabeth told me about this. She said, you wouldn't believe the kind of authority in which they pray. It's really quite amazing. And they said that I'm going to be healed. And such was my state of my faith at that point. I said, well... We'll see. <laughs> We'd been prayed for lots of times, lots of times, and we didn't see any results. And so discouragement had started to set in. I, I was kind of like Zachariah in that sense. But Elizabeth really believed. And when we came back here, there were other workshops around the city that we found, and we received some prayer here. But what we found is we needed to bathe ourselves in prayer, and we continued to seek prayer at every turn. And then Elizabeth got pregnant. She got pregnant naturally, and she was able to sustain the pregnancy. And so, amazingly, we ended up having this amazing little baby. And uh, I, I think I have a picture of her up here that you can see. Uh, so... She's four years old now, but that's probably one of my favorite pictures of all time. I, it's the screensaver shot, right? But here's another interesting thing. Before we named her, um, we sensed that the Lord was telling us we needed to be careful about this. And so Elizabeth started praying for what the name should be. And, and I got one of those big, you know, baby name books. And Elizabeth's like, no, no, we're not using that. We're not... And I was like, come on, let's pick a name, you know. And, and she was like, no, we're going to pray. You're going to pray by yourself. I'm going to pray by myself. And we're going to find out what God says this child's name is to be. And I said, okay, kind of begrudgingly and went away and started, all right, Lord, what do you want? You know, <laughs> praying, praying. And I really got the sense as I was praying that the Lord wasn't giving me so much a name, but he kept just saying gift from God. This is a gift from God. This is a gift from God. And so I went back to Elizabeth. We started talking about the name. And Elizabeth said to me, the Lord told me that this baby's name is supposed to mean gift from God. And so I went back to the baby name book. And I looked up all the names that meant gift from God. And there is in Russian, Ivana means gracious gift from God. And so that's how Eva got her name. We call her Eva for short. But it basically means gift from God. And we believe that God gave us that name for her specifically because he wanted to remind us that she is a gift. And when I think about that whole scenario and I think about all the things that we went through, it was almost as if God was saying, you do your thing and when you're done... Get out of the way and let me do my thing, right? And I think our tendency is to do so much in life in our own strength, isn't it? 
We have a hope, we have a dream, we have a vision, and we go for it. And we invite God to come along if he wants. <laughs> right? But God prefers to be the forerunner of our dreams and our hopes and our visions. And if God has put a, a vision or a passion on your heart and it hasn't been fulfilled as of yet, you need to know that God is a supernatural God that will enter into our world and do things that we would consider impossible. And, and so I really want you to get that today. That when Jesus entered our world, he ushered in peace and love and joy and hope. And if, if you're struggling with something today, along those lines, maybe it's fertility, maybe it's something else, I know Elizabeth and I would love to pray for you after the service today. Because one of the things I discovered once we got into this whole infertility thing is that there are a lot of people that struggle with this, and they don't talk about it. And there are a lot of people struggling with other things that they're not talking about. But we have a prayer team here that is on fire. They believe in the supernatural. If you came to this church for the first time today and you don't know much about this church, you need to know that this church believes in the supernatural. We believe that God is capable of healing today, just like he did then. We believe that God will enter into our world just as he did in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and all the other cases within the Bible that are supposed to help us recognize that this is accessible to us today. God wants to enter into our world and partner with us so that we can do things that we never thought possible. Because when the world looks at the church, they should see that there's something different about that group. And whatever it is, I want in. Right? So if you're not there, if you're not feeling that, if you're not feeling the peace of God, can I just recommend that you invite the Lord into your heart today. Invite him to give you his peace. It's a gift. It's a simple gift, and he's extending it to you, and all we need to do is ask. And so don't leave here today feeling hopeless, because we serve a God of hope and peace. Okay? Allow the peace of God to rule and reign in your heart. What would that look like for you? What would that feel like? In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being a God that doesn't allow us to go through this world without experiencing the supernatural. Lord, what you want for us is so much more than anything we've given you credit for. We look at our lives and our hopes and our dreams and we, we sometimes feel as though, you know, our time has passed. Kind of like, Elizabeth and Zachariah did. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe the best part of my life is behind me now. But I believe what you are showing us in this passage and many others, Lord, is that the best part of life is yet to come. We just have to grab hold of it. Get out of the way and let you do your thing. 
And so, Lord, we invite you to do just that in our lives today, Lord. Break the chains of death. Break the chains of sin. Break the chains of doubt and fear and discouragement, Lord. And open up the floodgates, Lord, so we can receive your hope, your peace, your joy, and your love today. In Jesus' name.